How's it going, New Hope? Uh, great to see you. I want to start as your pastor by applauding you. The announcement you heard earlier on, on Advent Conspiracy, that's incredible. It, it surpassed my wildest dreams of what you would give. Uh, I'm excited on multiple fronts when I heard, heard the number. One, all that money that is given to organizations that are helping our unhoused neighbors and helping people that have lost their homes in fires and helping provide needed mentors from minority youth. That's just kingdom work. It's, it's really incredible. That moves my heart deeply. But secondly, uh, as your pastor, I was deeply encouraged also because it's a sign of, of that we're all growing more like Jesus. That's generosity is one of those key signs. We don't just give stuff away. It just doesn't happen naturally. It, we like hold on to stuff like this. Uh, but when we begin to follow Jesus, that's the radical reversal of his kingdom. We begin to give our stuff away and to see you give your stuff away so freely uh, to the good of others. My goodness, it just moves my heart. And it tells me God's in our midst and God's changing me and God's changing you. And just want to continually invite all of us continually into that journey of becoming more and more generous, having our hearts grow bigger and bigger uh, as we experience, as the scriptures say, the life that is truly life. So well done. I, I'm incredibly grateful uh, to be a part of this community. Secondly, uh, I want to uh, briefly mention uh, what we were all watching yesterday. I'm filming this today is Thursday, so that it was Wednesday. I'm not sure what's gonna happen between now and Sunday, so this may be dated, but I at least wanted to acknowledge it. We don't, uh, we live in a context, we live in a culture, and, and uh, my family was sitting down watching, and I'm sure many of you were yesterday. And I just wanna clearly denounce the violence that was occurring. I wanna denounce violence of any kind uh, for any cause. Uh, it's, it's, it's antithetical to the way of Jesus. We are called, as you remember back a, a couple series ago, one of the key things we're called to as followers of Jesus is not, not to be peacekeepers, remember, but to be peacemakers because we follow the Prince of Peace. And what, what broke my heart more than anything, it, it kind of boiled my blood as well, is to see the sign saying Jesus as I saw people being violent. That has nothing, nothing to do with Jesus. And I denounce that. And I, I expect you denounce it as well. And as we move forward, I don't know what's gonna be happening. There's so much division. I wanna continually call us as a community, New Hope Church, to be part of the solution, not, a, not part of the problem. We're called to bring people together, not divide people. So as you have opportunity this week uh, to speak into people's lives, to enter conversations, to use your social media feed, Use it for unity. Don't use it to sow division. Use it to sow peace. Um, that's my hope. That's my prayer for us. So let me uh, let me just pray. I'm getting all hot and bothered here. Let me pray. Get our get ourselves oriented around the Lord, and then we'll launch into our message today. Father, just thanks that you're with us. That you you hear these prayers. I know your heart breaks when you look down, and you see violence of any kind, and especially when you see your people who profess to follow you attached to that violence. Uh, that is not the way of Jesus. And may New Hope Church be be a community that that enters the fray, if you will, and we bring peace. We bring uh, we bring unity. Uh, we denounce division. We denounce violence. That that we uh, are the ones that truly, and it's evident in how we live, follow the Prince of Peace. Uh, help us, God. Uh, help us to be aware of those opportunities this week we have to sow peace and and to sow love. 
And God, as we have hopefully, as you call us to, been praying for for President Trump uh, uh, during over the last couple of years, we pray for these next two weeks. We pray for a peaceful transition of power. And I pray that we would be faithful, as your word calls us to do, to pray for for President-elect Biden. And uh, we pray that that good things would be ahead as whatever political affiliation we have, that we learn to come together as one nation under God. Um, Yeah, thanks that you hear our prayers. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So have you ever uh, thought about your citizenship? I mean, maybe with everything going on in our nation, that's that's come to mind and heart. It's not something I've thought a lot about. I frankly take it for granted for for a lot of people, especially to become a citizen of this country. It's it's kind of it's kind of been the golden ticket. Uh, but I've, again, not thought about it much until recently. I was at a pastor outing, a prayer outing um, with with uh, some of my pastor friends and my new friend, Scott, who's a pastor in town told us Scott is from Scotland. He told us that he had just become a United States citizen. And we're like, that's great. And then he was like, it's the weirdest time ever to become a United States citizen. He, he actually voted for this past election. So we commiserated with him a little bit and and, and cheered him on and, and celebrated with him. Um, you can become a, a US citizen in a couple different ways. You can be born into the country. That's how I became a US citizen. You can marry into being a US citizen. And then there's what's called a naturalization process. So if you lived in America and permanently for five years and you, you got no criminal record and you're you're a good person and you kind of believe in the, the heart of the Constitution, you can apply to, to be an American citizen. It takes about eight months, 20 plus page application, all kind of interviews and background checks. I think it costs a little over $700 to apply. And then you have to take this test. It's called the English and civics test, something that 20 questions, you gotta get 12 out of 20 correct. 91% of the people who take it uh, pass, but they've recently showed people who are already American citizens like myself, uh, only one out of three of us would pass the test. <laughs> so it's questions like how many Supreme Court justices, and that's nine, and who did America fight along with its allies in World War II? Uh, that's Germany and Japan, and then people forget Italy. So it's questions like that. And uh, that's how you become a US citizen. So I'm, I hope you enjoy this little TED talk on how to become a US citizen. What in the world does this have to do with the Lord's Prayer? I think it has a lot to do with the Lord's Prayer. When we hear the Lord's Prayer, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, when we live the Lord's Prayer, we, we can't help but think about citizenship. I think that will become self-evident as we work our way through the message today. We can't help but think, where does our allegiance lie? We're in the second week of a series on the Lord's Prayer. Most of us have no clue how to pray. The disciples didn't, and they're like, Lord, teach us how to pray. And Jesus is like, all right, here's how you pray. And he gives us this prayer. This prayer is a, a model. It's, it's a framework for how to pray. It seeds the ground. It gives us catalytic ideas of how to pray. And it's also guardrails. It, it keeps our prayers within the center uh, of God's will. Last week, we just looked at two words. So if you're coming in now, you didn't miss a lot, but they are the most important words. So you may want to go back and watch that message. Our Father. We don't pray alone. We pray with our brothers and sisters who follow Jesus throughout history and literally around the world. And we pray to our Father. Our, it's an intimate word. It's our Daddy. Uh, it, it's, it's, we pray as children of, of, of God. We pray as children of the King. So we don't have to come like scared and shameful and reluctant and and woe is me we come with boldness and confidence as children of god Uh, this week we're going to start to get into the petitions there's there's six petitions in the lord's prayer they're 
pretty clearly mapped out. And uh, we're going to look at the first three today. Uh, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and your will be done. These first three have to do with God's character and rule. And then the second three have to deal with kind of more like our stuff, our day-to-day living that we're going before God and, and asking for, for help on. And we'll, we'll deal with those in the weeks to come. We're challenging all of us. Uh, maybe it's a refresher if you grew up saying this, but maybe it's brand new to memorize the Lord's Prayer and to pray it once a day. So just want to invite you into that. It's short. You can do this. And as you learn more and more about it, I think hopefully you'll be led to do it and it can shape your prayer life. Josh Breeze, uh, one of our new staff members that's come over from Mount Scott, will be uh, sharing the Lord's Prayer with us uh, today. So Josh, take it away. The Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. All right, let's jump into that first petition. Thanks, Josh, for reading. We're, we're so grateful you're, you're part of our team. That first uh, petition is, hallowed be your name. Nijay, who is a New Testament scholar, uh, he, he wrote a book on the Lord's Prayer. We'll be interviewing him and another scholar at the end of the series. Uh, Nijay jokes in his book that as he grew up memorizing the Lord's Prayer, as a kid, he thought it was hallowed be your name, <laughs> which is kind of funny. It's not hallowed be your name, it's hallowed be your name. Still a super weird word. When's the last time you used the word hallowed in a sentence or in a conversation or especially in a prayer and here's jesus telling us here's how you should pray the first petition is a word we don't really know what it means hallowed be your name so let's break that word down a a little bit the word comes from the greek root the same greek root that is used for the word holy or to be set apart so in some translations you'll see uh, holy is your name and this is certainly true when we pray this were to reckon with the holiness of God's name, that God is set apart, that God is something special. When God revealed his name to Moses, Yahweh, uh, as best we could understand it, the great I am is, is, is how we understand what it means. Uh, Jewish people to this day won't write it, won't say it because it's so holy. John in the book of Revelation gets, gets this vision in real time and space of what's going on in, if you will, the throne room of God, which we assume it's what's going on right now in the throne room of God. And so kind of the curtain was peeled back and John sees all these majestic angelic beings just hovering around God's throne saying 24 seven, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty who was and is and is to come. So when we pray this first petition, uh, hallowed be your name, we're to reckon with the holiness of God. We're to realize we're praying to someone who is totally unlike us in all the best kind of ways. When I'm walking the dogs in the morning and I'm trying to enter into my my usual rhythm of prayer, it's hard. It's hard to to to, to go from my my day to day living to like praying to this hallowed one. And I'll often close my eyes and and imagine that throne room scene and actually say those words, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And it's helpful. 
it gets me in the mindset of like, oh my goodness, this is happening right now and I'm entering into that space as I pray to God. The verb can also be translated in a different way. It, it could also be translated um, holy be your name. And so it, it's a small nuance, but it's an important one because you could ask, well, if God's holy, then how could he be made more holy? Does that make sense? And so it's a good question. And I would argue that it means both. God is certainly holy by praying or by whatever. We're not going to add to God's holiness. But I think we're invited into praying that idea of holy be your name. Like, how could we add to God's holiness or how could we magnify God's holiness? Think of the Sabbath, if you're familiar with that, because these words are used in, this, in, in the same way with the Sabbath. So the Sabbath, God said he set it apart and made it holy. So the Sabbath itself is holy. But then throughout Scripture, God says, um, make the Sabbath holy in, in how you live. And so it's both and. There's an aspect in we're invited into as we pray how we live can magnify or display God's holiness. What a really incredible thought as we pray that really simple line. Jackson Wu is, is a scholar. He's an Asian scholar. And he, he writes and teaches a lot in, in the underground church in China. And the, the scriptures were written by folks from an Eastern mindset. Uh, and most of their readers were from an Eastern mindset. We read the scriptures from a Western mindset. So oftentimes we miss things. In the Western mindset, this is simplifying things a little bit, but I think it's true. We talk about guilt and innocence a lot. That's a big value in the Western mindset. And certainly we see some of that in scripture. But from the Eastern mindset, it's less guilt, innocence, and more honor, shame. And when you begin to put on those lenses and start to read the scripture through the honor, shame lens, whew, it's, it's everywhere. And frankly, as I've been doing this, it's beginning to illuminate text and allow me to see things in a different way. In, in the Asian culture, or specifically the Eastern world, uh, you can behave in such a way individually that brings shame, or to use a Eastern phrase that we've adopted, it can cause you to lose face. It can also cause the people you're attached to or share a name with to lose face. So in the Eastern culture, when, when you misbehave, your whole family loses face and is dishonored. And I think that some of that's true in a Western culture. I was a complete train wreck for about eight years in the end of high school, through college. I did a ton of really, really stupid things, criminal things. And I brought shame to myself. I lost face, but also my parents did and my family did along the way. That's the idea. This idea is in scripture. Uh, we see it when the Israelites uh, went off after other gods and Moses says that they profaned the name of the Lord, that God lost face because they were his children. Uh, they were, he was their, God was their God. So when they misbehaved, God, uh, his honor was diminished. That's the idea here, this small little phrase, hallowed be thy name, that we're invited into. Yes, we're to remember God's in the throne room. Holy, holy, holy is Lord. That's important to remember who we're praying to. But we're also invited into this dynamic. And as his children, as God's children, how I behave and how you behave, whether good or bad, can bring either shame or honor to our Lord. It's, it's really a provocative little phrase when you think about it. So that's petition one. Let's go on to petition two. These are all kind of tied together, and I think you'll, you'll see that as we go. And they're all little small petitions. Uh, petition two is uh, your kingdom come, your kingdom come. 
to contextualize this petition, let's go back to a little prepositional phrase that we skipped over. You might have noticed that we skipped over it because we pray our father, what did we skip over? In heaven. What what does this mean? I think it it contextualizes the second petition. Yuri Gargarin was a Russian cosmonaut. Uh, He was the first human launched into space over 50 years ago. And Yuri uh, came back and he gave a press conference. And the first thing he said is, he goes, I looked around and I looked around, I looked around for God and there was no God. <laughs> and then the, the Russians kind of created this propaganda poster that I think you'll, you'll see come up that says, there is no God. Yuri, the Russians, they're misunderstanding what Jesus is saying when he says our father in heaven. There's two ways in scriptures of understanding this term in heaven. One is the way Yuri understood it and misapplied it. And we see that in Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim your handiwork. So up there, everything that we see with our eyes, it is referred to in scripture as heavens. And that's how Yuri understood it. Well, I don't see God, he must not exist, cut it. Jesus is using it in this prayer in the second way. We see this early on in Matthew's gospel and the gospels. John the Baptist arrives on the scene and John the Baptist's message is very simple. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Then here comes Jesus out of the wilderness, out of his testing. What's Jesus's message? It says he went forth and he proclaimed, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. Later, Jesus gathers his disciples and he sends them out and he tells them, this is the message I want you to proclaim. I bet you can guess what it is. The message is the kingdom of heaven is near. This is the primary message of Jesus in the scriptures. The kingdom of heaven is near or other gospel writers say the kingdom of God. It's the same thing. Jesus is using the second idea of heaven. It's not the skies. Uh, It is here. Here's the best way to understand it. Heavens in this sense is Uh, not a physical place, but a metaphysical realm. Metaphysical means uh, beyond the physical. Meta means beyond. It's beyond our senses. So there's this realm, the heavens, if you will, that God exists in right now in his throne room. And and how is this this realm different than our realm? The realm is different. It's a realm where God rules and reigns and his will is unquestioned and unchallenged. There's no evidence of sin there. So God's in this realm right now, the the heavens. And Jesus would say the kingdoms of of heaven. So when Jesus is saying our father in heaven, he's not saying that our father's an absentee dad, (laughs) which is kind of what we think of, like God's way distant away from us. He's not saying that at all. He's saying the God who rules and reigns on the throne, the king of kings and the Lord, that kingdom is coming near. That, that, that metaphysical realm where God's will and his rule and his reign is unquestioned is coming near. So now, now we begin to piece it together a little. Now, now it begins to make sense a little bit. So let's go back to the second petition. Thy kingdom come. Again, to our Western ears, this is an odd phrase. Uh, we live largely in democracies in the Western world. Uh, we've denounced kings and kingdoms because they we don't think that, that they work. And traditionally and historically, they haven't worked well. So our only conception of kings and kingdoms is maybe if you're watching The Crown on Netflix or you've seen a royal wedding at some point in life, which I hate those things. It's such a way, it's like window dressing. It's just a complete waste of time, my opinion. That's our concept of kings and kings. If we, if we think of it through that lens, we totally miss what's going on here. Biblically, 
And just logically, a kingdom needs three things. A kingdom needs a king, <laughs> a kingdom needs citizens, and kingdom needs a land, a place for the king to rule. Jesus is now stepping, and we see this apart from the Lord's Prayer, we see it everywhere in the Gospels. Jesus is stepping into this expectation of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is arriving. Jesus fully believes he's that king, that the land he's coming into is earth, and he's inviting anyone and everyone to be citizens of this kingdom that's coming to earth. Now we go on. There's another little phrase that, that illuminates this petition. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It's, it's quite evident on full display, just click on any news website, that the kingdom of heaven has not fully come to earth. Can we get a hearty amen? So what's going on here? Well, a simple Venn diagram might be helpful. So you're gonna see some images coming up on your screen and it really charts the story that we're part of in the Bible. So I'm gonna really overly simplify this, but I think that it will be helpful and illuminate the prayer a little bit. When God first created the world, he created heaven and earth together. They're one, they're, they're a unified entity. So God's will was unquestioned, his rule was, reign was unquestioned on earth. It's exactly how he wanted it. Then sin enters the story. At that point, earth and heaven are pulled apart. God has to remove himself from the ugliness and the brokenness of sin. At this point, and we don't fully understand how all this works at this point, though, earth is kind of given over to the rulership of, of Satan or, or the evil one. We see this when Jesus calls Satan the prince of this world or when Satan is tempting Jesus in the wilderness and tells Jesus to look down and says, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world if you bow to me. And Jesus is like, I'll take a hard pass on that because <laughs> they're going to be mine anyway, but in a way, Satan, that you won't even believe or expect. So there's there's a rulership of evil on the earth as, as God's heavenly reign is separated, but God throughout the story promises he's going to send someone to bring the two back together. And that's exactly what's happening when Jesus begins to announce at the very beginning of his ministry, hey, I'm here and the kingdom of heaven is near. He's, he's pointing to himself. I'm the one that's going to do it. I'm going to bring the two circles, the two realms back together as God always intended them. This, uh, the Greek word for uh, come near is kind of, if you look in the distance, maybe even with binoculars and you see something coming over in the far distance, the crest of a hill, or maybe the, the first rays of light of the dawn. That's the Greek word. So Jesus is like, I'm here. It's not fully here but I'm here and it's coming. You can see it from a distance, it's coming. Then at the cross, the death and resurrection of Jesus, that's when the two realms are brought into overlap. It's, it's not fully happened yet, but we exist in that intersection between the, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom uh, on earth. I hope that's helpful. But to just name the obvious again, the kingdom of heaven is not fully come. We're not there yet. P.D. James uh, says it this way, if the screams of all earth's living creatures were one scream of pain, surely it would shake the stars. But God hears those cries. God moves towards those cries. God is doing something. As I like to say, our tears have an expiration date. 
We can see what's coming. Restoration's there. We're starting to get glimpses and foretaste and previews of the kingdom of heaven uh, that's coming to earth. But it, it, it is very much a present reality, but it's also a promise to be fulfilled. Some have used the illustration um, from World, World War II of D-Day. D-Day is when the Allied forces uh, landed on the beaches in Normandy and kind of got a stronghold there, not without great cost. Uh, but that happened in 1944. VE Day, which was Victory in Europe Day, didn't happen for 11 months later. As historians go back and look at what happened, they said the moment the Allies established a stronghold on the beaches of Normandy, the war was over. It was done, but it wasn't really over, was it? There was lots of death, lots of carnage, lots of destruction, the throes of death, if you will, in the next 11 months. The cross and the resurrection is the theological D-Day. And the victory is playing out, but we're not quite there. Maybe that's a, a helpful thing. So as we pray this dynamic little phrase, your kingdom come, we're praying a prayer of protest. We're praying a prayer of revolution. We're those who see what's coming and say, we want more of it. Bring it, bring it. And, and we can rightly also say, along with the chorus from Revelation, how long, Lord? How long? How long is this going to take? I felt that a little bit this week. Like, how long? Let's do this, God. Let's do this. We need you. Come, Lord Jesus. But when we pray that, it's a dynamic prayer. It's a prayer that acknowledges everything is not right, but one day everything will be. One day death will be swallowed up with life. What is the governing principle of this kingdom? The governing principle is our third petition. They're linked together. Your will be done. God's kingdom can't come without God's will being done. They, they work in unison uh, together. Uh, it, think of it this way. Um, we could, we could easily de de define sin simply as my will or our, our will usurping God's will. That's a really simple way to see sin. We see that throughout the Old Testament that sin described as going our own way. We're saying my will, our will is higher than God's will. At that point, all kind of brokenness and death enters in. That's what originally divided the heaven and the earth. To have the heavens and earth come back together, to have the full rule and reign of God on earth as it is in heaven, God's will must be fully done. We must come to a point as we follow Jesus where God's will once again usurps our will and reigns unquestioned. What does this look like? Jesus didn't just pray it. Jesus lived it at his very darkest moment. If we can picture that scene in the garden where Jesus is staring the cross in the face, he knows the agony that is coming on every level. And Jesus literally plays a very human prayer. He, he says, God, if, if, if there's another way, if there's another way, God, please. But then what does he say? Well, this is his exact words. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet here it is, not my will, but yours be done. See, I don't know about you, but this is how I usually pray when I'm going through something really hard. I pray, God, if there's another way, can we do that? And that's it. That's, that's the end of my prayer. I'm just like, I want out of this. Could you just save the day, God, and just get me out of this, this carnage and this suffering and this mess? And that's an okay prayer. Those are lament prayers. God receives them. But we, we're meant to pray the two as a couplet. We're meant to pray like, God, I don't like this right now. I don't understand this. I know one day all will be made right, but can, can you deliver me from this? Will you deliver me from this? 
But we're meant to pray that second phrase, which is frightening. But not my will, but your will be done. That's kingdom living. I was uh, I listen to an app every day called Lectio 365. If you're looking for good rhythm for the new year, it's, it's really, really excellent. It's by the 24-7 prayer people. So I was walking the dogs the other day in my morning routine, listening to it. It was, I think it was January 1st. And the, the narrator was like, well, here's an old prayer by, by John Wesley that, that millions of people pray around the world every uh, beginning of the, of the year. And he said, here it is. I was like, this is great. I've never heard this prayer. I was all ready to like, you know, here we go, 2021. I'm going to pray this prayer. I'm walking the dog. Here's the prayer. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things and let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now glorious and blessed God, Father and Son and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours, so be it. In the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. And I'm listening to it and I was like, gulp. I'm like, I don't think I want to pray that prayer. Like, holy moly. What is that? And it was, a, it was a very powerfully spiritual moment for me on that walk. I came face to face with what it means to follow Jesus. I mean, I know this, I teach this, I invite you to do it. And yet confronted with those words, do I really mean your will be done? Even when Jesus prayed them and it led to the cross, do I trust God enough that he's a good father? Do I trust that his will is, is greater and better than mine? That's what's at stake. So part of my new year's resolution is like, I don't want to pray that prayer with mumbling next year or like eyes downcast. I want to pray it with gusto. I really do. And so it clarified for me, what is at stake in the Lord's prayer? This is not a throwaway prayer. This is not a simple, it is childlike in some ways, but it is a radical prayer. When we really understand what we're saying, your will be done, not my will, but your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Back to my friend Scott. When he became a, a U.S. citizen, when anyone becomes a U.S. citizen, they have to say an oath, kind of hands up in the air, hand over the heart, the whole deal. Uh, here's a little bit of the oath. I hereby declare an oath that I absolutely and entirely renounce and abjure all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, potentate, that's a really weird word, state or sovereignty of whom or which I have heretofore been subject or citizen. S Scott's talking about, or Scott had to say these words and whoever says these words, that, that word that jumps out to me is allegiance. Allegiance. It's a, it's a strong word. The word uh, literally is made up of two other words, alle, which means to tie something to something else, and liege, which is a feudal word. It's, it's a word that means you serve a king or Lord. So, so allegiance, what it really means is to tie ourselves to a king, to tie ourselves to someone that we're just looking to them. We bow the knee, we do whatever they tell us to do. It's a powerful word. And we have lots of allegiances in our life. At least I do. If you're married, you have an allegiance to your spouse. If you have kids, you have an allegiance to your kids. If you have a job, you probably have an allegiance to your company or should. 
Many of us, it's been on full display, have allegiance to a political party or political leaders or to our country. Uh, we have allegiances to sports teams, go Cowboys. Here's the idea in the Lord's Prayer. Here's what, when you pray it this week, here's what I want it to just jump off the page and come at you. That our allegiance as followers of Jesus is first and foremost to the kingdom of God, period. I wanna repeat that. Our allegiance is first and foremost to the kingdom of God. Rank your allegiances, go back, maybe do this sometime, write down all the allegiances you have, things that you're tied to, things that you're loyal to or committed to, causes and people and companies. What's first and foremost? Jesus was crystal clear. Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. Seek first. That word faith, we're called to have faith in Jesus, pistis in the Greek, a really good translation of it is allegiance. Jesus doesn't want us just to pray some prayer when we're a kid and then just go on living our lives how we want or check some box that we're a Christian and just go on and living our lives how we want. Jesus wants our allegiance. He's our king. We're to be tied to him in that way. So in a sense, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, uh, it, it's, it's, it's a pledge of allegiance. Secondly, the, the, the metaphysical realm of, of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God was never meant to stay metaphysical. It's meant to, and we see it in that phrase, come to, come to earth as it is in heaven. It's meant to become a physical reality. This is one of the great misnomers of, of modern Christians. Uh, we think that we just kind of gut it out long enough that we can die and go to heaven. The future is not heaven for us, just like a shocker. I hate to destroy that way. The future is earth. Heaven's gonna come down to earth. Earth is gonna be fully restored. I'm gonna get new bodies. You're gonna get new bodies. Our future is around us. Our future is a restored earth. Our future is heaven and earth come together. That's when those two, two circles fully unite together. So that's an illuminating aspect to praying this prayer. We don't see any announcements of the kingdom of heaven in the gospels that aren't connected to some physicality happening. Look for it. I challenge you to find one. Jesus uh, is doing this deal and John the Baptist is from prison and John the Baptist reaches out through his disciples and says, Jesus, I don't know, are you really the one? Here's how Jesus responds. Go and report to John what you have seen and heard the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And in another point, Jesus sends out his disciples and he goes, go and proclaim the kingdom of God and heal. It, it, the kingdom of heaven coming to earth has a physical nature to it. It's not meant to stay metaphysical. It's meant to take on flesh. I would like to say it this way, the kingdom comes where it is embodied. The kingdom comes where it is embodied. So as we pray for God's kingdom to come, we don't then just pray it and sit back and wait around for when inevitably Jesus will return. We don't do that. We actually begin to bring kingdom come into how we live. That prayer is, yes, awaiting and an inviting for Jesus to come, but it's also invitation for us to enter in with the Spirit of God and be the body of Christ, be filled with the Spirit and go out and bring healing and wholeness to our world. Dallas Willard says it like this. I love this quote. The kingdom of God is present whenever 
what God wants done is done. Man, that's awesome. Let me repeat that. The kingdom of God is present whenever what God wants done is done. The kingdom comes not just by sitting around waiting for Jesus to return one day. The kingdom comes whenever we love our enemies, whenever we make peace, whenever we tear down dividing walls and unite people, whenever we show hospitality, whenever we're kind, whenever we're generous, whenever we give hope to the hopeless, whenever we lift up the vulnerable, whenever we set free the oppressed, whenever we speak good news to people who good news, I can go on and on and on. The kingdom comes in each of those instances. Jesus at one point in the Gospels, I think he cast out some demons and then he says, the kingdom of heaven has come upon you. And I was thinking, when the church is the church, when we're being the church led by the spirit of God and we do the works of Jesus for the good of others and bring healing and wholeness to our world, we could announce to people, the kingdom has come upon you. But don't do that. That'd probably freak people out. It's weird. But just maybe think that. That's the reality of what we're being invited into. So let's not just pray your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, just go about our day. Let's see that as an invitation to help actualize that in the path that's laid before us each day. So maybe as we pray it this week, maybe maybe microsize it, maybe personalize it. Maybe you start with uh, your kingdom come in Portland as it is in heaven. Or maybe you say your kingdom come in this neighborhood that I live in as it is in heaven. Or maybe you give in more personally say, thy kingdom come in this home I dwell in with these other people this week. Oh, it's getting serious now. <laughs> However you want to modify the prayer to help you bring it to bear on your life, to see it not as like some distant thing that you're not a part of, but it's something that you're very much a part of. Lord, thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May, may that be how we pray this week. But may that also be how we live this week, hallowed be his name. Let me pray. God, thank you for uh, this prayer that isn't meant to be prayed from a distance. It's meant to be entered into and brought to bear and brought to life by how we respond to it and how we enter in as the church and the body of Christ. I can't remember a time in my life, Father, where that was needed more than it is right now for the church to be the true church and to be the body of Christ that's entering into broken spaces and bringing healing and hope and unity and love and peace. Come, Lord Jesus. And we mean that literally. We want you to come, but until you do, come in us. May your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.